So let's do an intro into episode two of Video Transfer 2021. Um, <clears throat> Slate. I think, nice. I, think, I think doing more than one defeats the purpose and makes it harder for the editor. So should we do three? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the Video Reformation Podcast. I'm Ben Oliver. There's David. I'm David Olson. <laughs> and I'm Justin Plant. Ooh, just something special about this episode, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are back actually for part two of our Video Trends for 2020 discussion. Uh, we After. got a little deep, a little heavy. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, I would recommend going back and listening to that. You can probably also pick it up in the middle here, but my guess is it's not going to make a whole lot of sense. Or maybe it is just as self-evident as it seems, and we're just talking about video trends for 2020. Had some interesting discussion about quantity over quality uh, in the upcoming year. We had a very interesting uh, couple different discussions about uh, AI. Uh, And of course, uh, I think we have negotiated additional money for our sponsor, Millennial and Me to uh, actually sponsor both of these episodes. That's right. Mm-hmm. So good job Which actually is three times that. the price. Yes. It's, yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, check still hasn't cleared. No. In, in fact, it, no. th- it looks like Monopoly money. <laughs> it's not even a check. It's not even a check. That's just, David, that's just Monopoly That's money. an IOU, David. I mean, I like that it was pink and yellow and green. <laughs> Uh, Blue. Look at zebra stripe gum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Um, that stuff tasted awesome. I said so. Oh, we're going to go on to the podcast now. I like that stuff that, like, the big league chew stuff because I yeah. played baseball as a kid. And so, like, I got to pretend to be, like, chewing tobacco. <laughs> like, that didn't turn all kinds of kids in the 80s and 90s into <laughs> yeah, tobacco right? users. Do you, do you remember when uh, icebreakers came out and the, like their their wrapper was biodegradable so kids would just like stick the whole stick in there was that just me or i, I remember uh burst <laughs> or something that might have been it i think it was cineburst i know mm-hmm. that one was people there was like a rumor that you could just eat the whole thing yeah and you could <laughs> sure and none of these are sponsors and yet we're mentioning these brands on air i don't think they exist well icebreakers is still a thing yeah icebreakers is a thing They're remember we almost did an ad for them on tongle proctor and gamble yeah i do remember that um tongle was <laughs> back in the days when we had we were like nothing I don't, yeah <laughs> we were we doing no nothing work. no business <laughs> this year's been so much better um okay so we've discussed quantity over quality we've discussed ai Let's talk about more customer journey-based content next. I think, at first, I guess I want to say, I think those are some very buzzwordy things that everybody can seems to just be saying. So all of it, or well, or, just like you know, full funnel video mm-hmm. and even even like flip the funnel or the like flywheel, like all that like. I don't know. It's just getting really annoying. But I think I think you've got some good points, so I'm going to let you. <laughs> <laughs> so just everybody. He's so generous. If you weren't listening, if you weren't paying attention, fast forward three minutes. Because <laughs> whatever's going to. What a great setup. Thank you. <laughs> this is all bullshit buzzwordy things, but I think you've got some valid points. Go ahead and talk. Thanks. Go ahead and stand on that platform. All shit. Right. So I, I actually, in the outline here, I actually typed more customer journey-based content because I feel like customer journey is the least buzzwordy of the ways to refer to it, to be honest. I mean, because sure. every customer, every client, every potential customer has that journey that they take. And, no matter and, the shape. And they're individualized no matter the shape. And whether it's linear or circular or whatever, like, who gives a fuck about that? It's like there is this journey that somebody goes from, like, not even aware that they have a problem mm-hmm. to aware that there's a problem to aware that you are a solution to, you know, considering your solution to comparing your solution to other potential solutions to then ultimately deciding to buy. I mean, that happens mm-hmm. regardless of like <clears throat> the direction or the flow mm-hmm. or whatever. And and so we talk uh, quite a bit about because we have the strategic focus. We've talked several times about 
about the opportunity for video to both speak to your customers throughout their journey and answer the questions that they have mm -hmm. at each of the various steps in their journeys. But it's also a great way to, to kind of test your assumptions about those journeys too. If you can create content and map it to what you believe your customer journey is, you can actually use that video content and how it's consumed to understand whether there is step six in there or sure. not, or right? If people find that that's not a question they need answers to because you know the engagement is really low on it, right? People are watching 10, 12% of the video on average or something like that, straight. and then they're going next, like to the next video, then, mm -hmm. then great, maybe that's not something we need to be explaining to our prospects. But really, I, I think it's more about utilizing what you know of your customers' journeys and giving them the answers to those questions. And, and Forrester are the same people who did the whole, like who mm -hmm. started the whole a minute of videos worth 1.8 million words. And I'm sure that guy whose name I've forgotten regrets that he put that out there. Um, Cause as a good data scientist, I'm, I hope to God he yeah. regrets putting that stat out there. But, you know, Forrester uh, predicts that B2B marketers creating content around their customers' journeys is going to increase from 18%, which is what was reported this year. 18% of marketers are creating content based on their customers' journeys. They believe that in 2020, that's going to jump to 48% of marketers creating content. That's half of marketers creating content based around their customer journeys. I forget sometimes that even if it's buzzwordy to us, we are typically on that bell-shaped curve much farther to the left than yeah. than a lot of folks in terms of, of adopting new philosophies and technologies and stuff so uh, i apologize for my <laughs> my comments about uh, that's okay nobody's listening to this part anyway <laughs> and and so i think that's an opportunity i think it fits with what we talked about in in the first episode on this about kind of that quantity over quality Right, uh, it's it's the customer journey is a great way to come up with your first video strategy. It, it's a great way to kind of map out that content you need to make, and and you're gonna have that like ten videos that you're gonna need to make to guide them through that journey. And as as you brought up potentially prematurely based on the outline of the episode, didn't um, see that in there. Yeah, the 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 great point that you brought up about uh, marketing becoming so much a part of sales enablement. Because there does need to be, I mean, we've talked before about, um, does anybody happen to remember offhand the statistic of like, in the B2B space, prospects are doing like 47% of the research on their own, like before oh, they want to talk, or like 73%. Yeah, 78, yeah. 80. So people are doing so much self-education and so much, um, uh, yeah, let's just stick with self-education. Uh, before they're willing to reach out to a sales rep, mm -hmm. that marketing is is less and less in the position of creating an MQL and handing off an MQL to a sales team right. to then take over. Marketing is becoming more and more responsible for shepherding those people all the way through to the buy and then still engaging them after the purchase. Right. Marketing is just it feels like less and less of a lead gen organization. I mean. Marketing departments can be split up in a lot of ways, and sometimes they'll have lead gen, sometimes they'll have yeah. the, the variety of other departments, but it feels like they're becoming kind of that in-house agency, you know, the ones responsible for creating the right content throughout the entire journey and life cycle of a, of a prospect client. Yeah, and and I think we've seen it too, I mean, with our clients. I mean, we, we can, we've done specific outreach to sales departments, we've done specific outreach to customer success departments. We always end up getting like sent to the marketing department. And so I don't think this is anything that's necessarily surprising. I think it's just something that like marketing and and executives in organizations need to be aware that marketing needs to be given the resources and the responsibility of creating that content because it's the content that needs to be shared all the way through that journey. And you can't rely on your salespeople to create content. You can rely right. on your salespeople to have conversations and uncovered pain points and and present the right solutions, but you've often got so many potential solutions within your product or service that their job is then to recommend the right features that satisfy the pain points and then feed them content that explains how these fe this feature set addresses their pain points. And, and we talked a lot about data in the first half of this episode. The android from Star Trek The Next Generation? Exactly, yes. yeah. Brett Spinner? Mm-hmm. Spiner? Spiner. Spinner. We're gonna get a lot of 
I'm sorry. I just I checked out for like a second, and I have no idea. Where we, are. we took a hard we left turn. Okay. Uh, ben and I had a whole side conversation about how we can really throw you off while you're tuning out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you have a tell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just it's when he gets up and leaves the room this. and, and yeah. yeah. I start like looking, looking around. I feel like David was about to make a good point. Yeah, data. The so, robot. Uh, David, how do you feel about data as a part of this discussion? Well. I always thought that he should have like his own standalone series. Spin-off? Yeah. Oh my god, that would have been so good. Because over the course of the series, he did sort of evolve a little bit into like more of a an emotional being. Yes. Um, I mean, you can probably speak on that better than I can. But yes, I can. I'm for the purposes of this podcast, yes. Data and the marketing team. It is the job of the marketing team or the CMO, or for that matter, the head of the company, to actually start creating that content based on where you identify as the weak spots in that customer journey, I guess is where I was getting at. Okay. So you know, you should know where along that, where you have the most trouble. Maybe you, maybe you don't have any problem getting the initial interest or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So start focusing on where along that journey people are getting lost or dropping out, whatever. And so you can start to take a more strategic approach to how you're prioritizing where you're filling in those gaps. And I think it's, like you were saying, it's not, the sales team can't be expected to make all this content, but the marketing team can. They shouldn't just be blindly making stuff because they think they had, oh, I had, a, I had an idea today that we should do this thing. Well, what is that based on? You should be basing that on data. where you're actually the data, where you're actually seeing uh, the need for it, and your CMO or your CEO should be giving you the tools you need to actually take a look at that. Which is another thing we always talk about with video. It's going to give you the best and the most variables, data-wise. Yeah. Were you a Star Trek watcher, or are you? Like casual. Really. Kid. You were big time though. Just the next generation, but yeah, okay. big time next generation. How many? How long is that? Like seasons? Wide? Seven seasons. Wow, I believe. Don't at me, but I think it was seven seasons. <laughs> so, oh, no, I might be a millennial. I said, don't at me. Yeah, but the like. But I, did I do it? The in big Star Trek yeah, fandom, okay, next generation way. fandom, yeah. is more Gen X. Gen X. Yeah. Yeah. I identify as Gen X. Like yeah. the music and the culture. And, well, we gotta wait and see yeah. what your what yeah. your results are. Okay, that's who, a big vial, by the way. Who wants to do one now? What's another trend for video for 2020? Justin, why don't you take one? So, sometimes, well, to be quite honest, a lot of times pornography leads the trends in uh, in a lot of commerce and <laughs> it's and not untrue. But you know, sometimes B two B is the first to pick, you know, to, to kind of lead the charge on something. Frantically <laughs> scrolls through an uh, episode outline to try to figure out where he's going. Uh, sometimes B2C does. Right now, there are an overwhelming amount. In fact, I would say too many. There's a bubble of B2C influencers. In there, pornography? Um, well, I don't know. Uh, I suppose there probably is. Is there an influencer community in porn? I, th- I, think, they're just, I think they're just porn stars. But in the so the B two C world, there's influencers everywhere. Brands were were going to people of influence and saying, "Hey, would you wear our clothes? Would you?" I mean, this has been going on forever, but now there's a term for it. Yeah. Then people realize that if they're also hot and they and they post their workout videos or whatever, they can get supplement brands to essentially sponsor them, mm-hmm. and that you know then that person will post on Instagram, TikTok, whatever them using that product or talking about it, reviews, that kind of stuff. And there's people out there who are just making it up and want to be an influencer so they're pretending that this post is sponsored by McDonald's or something. Like it's so that that's that that would be for like a makeup how to video, right? Sponsored by McDonald's. Sure. Yeah, acne from all the yeah. <laughs> Here's here's that a uh, cover, cover up, up your acne. <laughs> cover up brought, your McDonald's brought face. Brought to you by McDonald's. Um not to mention the 
influx of new influencers that are likely to happen with NCAA changing its rules. Mm, You're going to have every college athlete in every sport, men, women, whatever, are able now to take advantage of that and yeah. So they flood uh, social media. Those are people it. that actually have cultural value. Yeah. If if you want to say like yeah. sports is culturally valuable, I think it is. There are people that just live on the block who have no life and just want to be an influencer, and they they try to present themselves as an influencer. But I think there's a fourth level too of people who who genuinely aren't even necessarily trying to like get sponsored, who genuinely are just used to and like sharing what it is that they do and, and like yeah. too. I mean, I think there's that. And, and there's I think, that. There's an authentic. I think the perception is that like all influencer marketing is authentic marketing. And that's the problem with it is like it's so overweighted with inauthenticity. Right, right. But I but I think that's the group that you missed. And, and it's people who just, gen- I, I mean, I my godson, as an example, he watches a ton of Twitch and he watches a ton of videos mm-hmm. on YouTube of, of people playing the video games that he plays. And I was sitting on the couch with him a few weeks ago. He was playing one of the Minecraft games or something like that. And he is narrating to me or anyone around who would listen like he had his own Twitch channel. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has just, and, and so the minute his parents give him permission to start like publishing videos, he is going to be like ten years in practice, yeah. Already like narrating and doing sound effects and whatever, because that's the stuff. That's the kind of content that he consumes. And so, you know, he like that opened my eyes. I felt like a boomer at that point. I was like, oh my god, I'm so old because there's this generation that has just grown up with all of these things there from the beginning. And so, I think there are a lot of people out there who actually genuinely like to review and share like what it is they like movie reviews mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. and they just do it because they like sharing that they're not yeah. necessarily trying to build an audience or get that's sponsored true. or things like that too and to me that's where i see the opportunity in b2b is because i think i think those people are out there and using doing that kind of stuff with b2b products also mm-hmm. I think there there is nobody really doing that to my knowledge. There, there's and and I don't know. There's so much content on YouTube. There's got to be somebody doing it to some extent somewhere. Yeah. The problem is that that you can't find it because it's the brands at the top who aren't trying to make it a thing. And so I think there's an opportunity if you are able to to identify the videos that are there that are like a review of Monday.com. Or a review of, you know, Adobe Premiere Pro, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of a transitional B two B or B two C product. If you were one of those people, maybe you you go out and just download free trials, yeah, for software, yeah, and put it through the test. Well, you do get some of those things though, like if you were to look up like Wistia versus Vidyard or something right now. There's probably a video out there of somebody saying like, here are the features you get with Wistia, mm-hmm. here's what you get with. Uh, Vidyard or Vimeo or whatever and comparing those things Squarespace versus Wix you'll get a lot of that's a little more B2C but you do have those things out there it just doesn't it it's, doesn't feel as comprehensive and organized as mm-hmm. and exploited and exploited frankly and, and, I, and I think that's where the opportunity is is I think that content is out there I think it has a tremendous amount of value in the B2B space and I really just started thinking about it. Um, I think it was episode one where we talked about a meeting that we had in San Francisco with a company who's developing AI to scrub YouTube videos, and, and they're working primarily with B2C brands. But if as a B2B brand you use that same platform <clears throat> and you know put in your four or five product SKUs or whatever – and all of a sudden you found, like you may not find the hundreds of videos that like a makeup company is yeah. having referenced, but if you found like a half dozen or a dozen videos where people are legitimately reviewing your product, why not? And then you have the opportunity to license that content. That, that, that I see as the opportunity to create a legitimate B2B influencer industry 
and learn from a lot of the mistakes that the B2C influencer industry has made over mm-hmm. the last several years and has kind of led to its collapse because I think there is still a novelty and an authenticity that you can maintain in the B2B space because I'm not aware of anybody who's really leveraging that right. kind of content. It, it almost becomes more of like the old talk of like user-generated content. You're just not even asking them to do it. You, they're just doing it, you're finding it, and then you're leveraging I it. would say Gary V is potentially the closest thing to a B2B influencer. Okay, that's fair. Um, and I bet there are brands out there asking him yeah. to to mention his their Well, Seth platform. Godin probably also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would take money for that sort of thing. Uh, we might, <laughs> uh, but we would. But, but I think video gives people the platform to build that personal brand, and that's why I think that based on what you're saying about a vacancy, a, a vacuum for this sort of content, uh, and that video, and people, I have seen a lot of people just kind of turning to being a keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. and self-publishing books and that kind of thing. I think video is a great way to get your message out there. Um, and especially with that vacuum, it's just a, it's a huge opportunity. And I, I think we might start to see that a little bit more. Yeah. Especially when we launch our B2B <laughs> right. influencer marketplace. Yes, we have a <laughs> surprise announcement to make. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, who wants to pick another video trend for 2020? <clears throat> I'll take one. Let's talk about the in-house production increase, which pertains to in-house production teams. Uh, yeah, video. generally speaking, the increase of in-house video but production. In-ha- like in-house versus out-of-house. Agency. Yes. Outhouse? Outhouse. We are an outhouse video agency. <laughs> oh, we could totally. We are your outhouse. <laughs> Storyboard media, we're your outhouse. Video production team. Uh, That all sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. But no, I I think it is something you're seeing a lot, especially at a lot of the larger brands. And I think they're. I think you're starting to see. I I think what you're starting to see at the big brands. I've been reading about this in Adweek some recently. Is a lot of the big brands are are basically creating spinoff in-house agencies. Um, and they have basically full service agency capabilities, and their clients are themselves, um, or they're I, acquiring agencies. Uh, yes, quite often. Yeah, too. I believe Anheuser Busch InBev just did that. Is that the example? Budweiser, maybe specifically. Yeah, I think they just uh, Procter and Gamble. One of our um, clients just acquired a production company, and they're not even in the media. Well, yeah, yeah, um, but I think you're seeing with a lot of a lot of with a lot of small to medium-sized businesses too. I think it's less like, I think there's two stories on the in-house thing, is what I'm trying to get at, is there's large brands eschewing traditional agency relationships and bringing agency work in-house solely, and there's the SMBs that are starting to bring in-house resources to video. that are not necessarily excluding outhouse uh, production companies, mm-hmm. um, but they're starting to recognize that video is that that content for them that's getting the highest return or getting the highest engagement or click-throughs or conversions or whatever it is, and so they are starting to put resources to that. That's where I see and, the opportunity. To your point, I think your first uh, thing that we brought up was more lower quality content. Yeah. Um, or Which again, every time we say lower quality, I feel like the disclaimer is like still quality. Yeah, we're not going to like a 1996 handy cam because it's free, unless it's creatively motivated. Sure, but like, but it's just that it's it's not done to quite the same level. Yeah, as we've seen. Um, <clears throat> so, what um, what advice would you give to a SaaS company that's maybe got? 15, 20 people on its marketing team that is looking to bring some video in-house. God, I mean, where do you, there's so much to start with. I feel like I, w- I would look at kind of what David was saying and where are my gaps? Where's the most friction in this sales cycle? Or we, are, is our attrition really high or whatever? And I would probably start, I would probably start, if, especially if you haven't done much video, I would start 
instead of investing all those resources up front into an in-house team and not really know what you're doing, I would dabble in, work with a couple different external agencies first before just going and hiring somebody so you know a little bit more about how video works and what sort of platforms you need and where it should fall within that that you know the customer journey. So I would kind of I would take a, an approach there, like just figure out where 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 is that friction taking place. Um, if if they do have the experience with video, then hire based on that, um, based on the the skills that are required for that type of content. Um, if it's uh, I just looked up when we did the in-house video teams episode. Yeah. It's literally the last episode we recorded. <laughs> okay. I thought that sounds familiar. So go listen to episode 16 in-house video teams. We go through, we, I mean, we, we talked we through, through a bunch of different small, small teams, medium-sized teams, big teams, when to use agencies, all that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, David, why don't you pick another video trend for 2020? How about the continued evolution of personalized video? This what are your a, thoughts on that, Ben? Well, my thoughts on this are that we've been wrong in the past because I think we've been saying for two or three years that like personalized video is going to be the next big thing. And when we said it, we meant like the ability to actually change graphics in video to like use a person's name or company name. Uh, like Vidyard has a platform where, where you can create customizable, personalizable video based on the data that you have on people. So you basically do like a mail merge, but instead of doing like a marketing, you know, insert first name, you're doing an insert first name and some kind of like graphic, but like a fully integrated graphic in a video that looks like that's how you shot it. And so uh, my my initial thought was, We've talked again for a couple of years about like next year's the big year for personalization and it just hasn't really taken off. But the more we talked about it, I think what we're seeing is like we talked about with a bumper machine and and YouTube's director, like there are so many opportunities to put such specific content together for the exact person who's viewing a video that that's really where personalization has come in. So it may not be to the level of, of like, hey, Ben, come to our event. Uh, we would love to have storyboard media, uh, you know. Right. It, but it's like I'm being fed a pre-roll ad for that event that, you know, something in the title says, get your early bird pricing just like last year because they know that I attended the event last year and I took advantage of one of the early birds. Mm -hmm. And like that feels very personal to me. Right. Yeah. But they were able to put that together, even though it doesn't say like Ben on like, you know, a name like lanyard badge kind of words coming out of my mouth. What's that thing <laughs> called? <laughs> uh, like a badge on a lanyard. Like it may not have my name on yeah. a badge on a lanyard in right. the video, but like it can like individually call me out based on any of my previous behaviors, that's still pretty cool. Well, like a relatively simple example could be, imagine a two minute video that's a scene at uh, a pool party and you have, <laughs> you have shots of someone walking around in tennis shoes, shots walking around someone on flip flops, a guy, a girl, whatever. The personalized video of that might cut that down to based on your cookies and your interests like you've been recently searching for sneakers or something that'll show you that part of the ad that like features the things that you would be most drawn to in that ad uh, versus saying like Ben check out these sneakers <clears throat> or like have a name tag on the guy and that then, says Ben no just show a guy who has sneakers that yep. puts you in that frame of mind like oh this, this I kind of want those sneakers yep. and even more so if you're viewing that on mobile it may give you the opportunity to make say say that these sneakers are available at the mall which is two miles from you yep you know or or swipe up or, or this. feed you that ad yeah. while you're at that mall yes which is the right. other creepy yeah. thing when you get the uh, yeah and the, it's uh, happening just slowly enough that we're all getting used to it yes yeah because it wasn't that long ago before you'd see like an ipad mounted in like the gap 
like you'd see these like ads where it was like an iPad mounted in a gap that like you'd walk by and it would say, welcome, Ben. Or it's even in like a minority report or something mm-hmm. like that, where mm-hmm. he walks into the store and, and, start, and, the, ads and the ads talk to you and say, hey, why don't you go check out our jeans over, you know, over on that display over there. With you their know. sizes and everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, they're not like in-store display ads. It's just happening on our phone. Although they do have that anywhere. now, too. Sure. If you go over to Harris Teeter, they have the indoor display ads that are telling you about the wine on the iPad. Even when we were in uh, Carolina Beach over the summer, I kept getting fed the Spotify ad as I was, like, driving down the down the main strip there. But it was like, turn left to go to the McDonald's here. Like, it was a McDonald's Jeez. ad. It was, like, it was like, hang the next left. It kept saying that. And I was like, how do they... How do they know this? Because there's a McDonald's at every... <laughs> yeah, because there's so one that was on the either side of the street. Was it actually pinging a McDonald's nearby, or did they just assume that there was a McDonald's close enough that if I hung a left, I would eventually hit one? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. It sounds like we need to go to Carolina Beach to find out. We'll be back after we return from our Carolina Beach Let's just vacation. move all of the mics to the car, yep. and we'll just keep recording in the drive Anthony, down to Carolina Beach. Okay, it feels like a good time to take a break and uh, listen to our sponsor. David, why don't you take the honors? Our returning sponsor is Millennial and Me at-home generational testing kits. Millennial and Me at-home generational testing kits test for numerous generations, including X, Z, greatest, silent, boomer, and of course, millennial. Just submit a full quart of blood, a map of your genome, answer a few questions like, did you see the movie Titanic in theaters? Millennial and Me, now also available at Hudson News. <laughs> you know, what was really nice about that is it's actually a second ad delivered for the second episode. That's right. Like, is it like, <clears throat> like is it a different ad? Well, they paid like, us three the, times. The, yeah. 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 For two ads. For two ads. Yeah. So, <laughs> Justin, which generation do you identify with? Uh, do I identify with or? Yeah, I, I guess question I, one is: Have you taken the millennial and me test? I have not. How big is the vial? What were you of blood? spitting into? <laughs> that was just my hands. Oh no, I know but, I got this barrier this here. Was, but he did the blood it. one. This was the blood version, which is, I guess, more accurate by eight percent. Which is nice to do at the airport. Yes. Honestly, you've got all that time, and the vial is pretty big. Exactly. And so you've got to you need time to regenerate. Like when you're sitting on the you plane, you have to is hook up you, the the IV. Right. And yeah. And and so when you. You know, sitting on the plane for a couple hours, you regenerate the blood supply. You don't want to go bowling right after you do this sort of thing, right? right. Which no, is why you know the old adage: never go bowling. You know, until at least like an hour after giving blood for a, a generational test. Although bowling is a common activity for boomers, for boomers and millennials and zoomers. What's what is if you were born today? What generation has it defined yet? Or baby. Are they? <laughs> You're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> you have kids, right? You know how this works. Yeah. The, Infant? Uh, well, they're running out of... So Generation right. Z is like the like ones the, that I are, bet it'll be like Alpha. Well, so Probably before go, mille, the term Millennial took over, Gen Y is what they were calling millennials and then all of a sudden millennial became the term that everybody hmm. used because that's what i what i was always kind of on the border between was gen y and gen z and then all of a sudden it started becoming millennials and then gen, x, was, and gen, gen x and gen y once it became gen x and millennials somehow it skewed just a little bit younger with millennials from like gen y but yeah go gen x Gen X apparently is like born in the 70s, and I was born with like 35 days left. Like, you keep throwing out these timelines here. You haven't received your results from the test. So, I don't know. It's a birth certificate. It's true. Does that matter? But it's not a full form birth certificate, though, right? It needs to be like the full full form birth certificate. Maybe. No. Hawaii. All right. What do we think is going to happen with statistics analytics over the next year? Well, pretty good question. I don't, I don't quite know. I asked it, so I can't answer. Um, you, well, usually that's how you that's how you act. That's kind of your mo. Um, but I do along those lines. I believe there's going to be a lot more integrations. Okay. So 
um, you know, CRMs hooking into YouTube and, 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 and such and be able to collect more data and all that data being centralized or, or hoarded in, in one place or another. But which, with the more integrations, you're going to have a lot more data. I think that's kind of the data thing. I mean, the data feeding on data, feeding on data. We're still talking about the Star Trek data, right? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> um, <clears throat> data feeding on data, feeding on David is actually a fanfic TNG that I wrote when I was like 12. Yeah, we read it. Yeah. Okay. Good. But what I didn't write this one, so what do you guys have in mind? Well, I... Is it general wonder, specific? I do think that this is an area where a lot of people tend to, frankly, ignore for a long time. They'll use video, and the last step is kind of actually like taking a look at those analytics and doing something with it. It can be like the... A, because it takes a while to actually get that, accumulate that data. And B, Which it's I like, think is a part that people forget, honestly. They think that they time. can just create something and put it out there, and all of a sudden they're going to like know how successful it is. Yeah. And you're talking how many views did it get? Well, three. The data comes from so many places, right? Because if you're uploading natively yeah. to different places, then you're getting different statistics, and how do, you, how do you combine all that information? That's been really difficult. Yeah, so synthesizing that can be really tricky if you're – especially if you're relatively new to it, you don't have a platform that's aggregating all that stuff for you. But going forward, now that people become more familiar with video, been using it a little bit more, um, Vidyard just launched its like free version. So that further kind of democratizes this, I guess. But maybe it'll, going forward, people will be more comfortable and more literate in using those statistics and analytics to do something with it instead of it just, instead of, you know, having a team of data scientists, you know, at Facebook or whatever, who all they do is this. And unless you have that, then you have no idea what to do with this information. Well, maybe now there's tools and there's resources and there's just knowledge generally to use to actually, you know, use those in a meaningful way. Yes, I think that that's where I would go with it too is, is the, t- the two sides of the coin are more data available, but more practice, which is is what gets you to a- able to interpret and take insights from the data. Because data itself is, is ju- literally just numbers, right? I mean, it's just sitting there, and until somebody can actually, like, organize it, sort through it, understand it, you can't really get any insights and actionable tasks to move forward with it. That, that for now, takes a person. Like, you have to understand enough about your customers, your content, your, your products, your services, uh, how you're putting it all out there, when you're putting it out there, and then to be able to put all of that context with the data that you're getting back to be able to convert it into insights and to understand this is what these data mean. And because these data are telling us this, we need to do that. And I think I think that's where the opportunity with all of this greater access to data and more data in general is essentially just going to give people more practice understanding and analyzing and creating insights from those data so that people can actually act on them. We're still talking about Star Trek data, right? Yes. Yes. We'll use that one more time. Just once? (laughs) I think we got one more trend we'd like to discuss. And by we, I mean Justin. Well, I mentioned this yesterday. It just it's kind of a hunch. There's something there. No, I know. Yeah. yeah. It's a hunch. So it kind of started with seeing this race for media and and you saw it kind of start a couple years ago where Netflix started funding any and every series, movie, whatever. Now they're producing some Hollywood-level productions or at least funding and and distributing with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney and HBO. Having some of the... Apple. Having some of those great centralized... Like, their distribution has changed entirely for that entertainment-type 
a video. Mm-hmm. But just like books, there's fiction and nonfiction. And right now, the only nonfiction video you see is typically documentaries about like and stand-up specials about. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah. I mean, that's probably a separate genre, but. I have a hunch that there's going to be a place for business content and where people are actually going to consume this on their own time, not at work. They're not expecting to this. I'm talking about long form content too, not just a two minute, how to use a product video. I'm talking about like, like this podcast, for example, is an hour long, usually every time. And it's all related to video B2B video. If we film this thing, this could just as easily be on Netflix or Amazon Prime as it could be on YouTube. Right now, everyone just dumps everything to YouTube, but but stuff that has a lot of like high value content, Disney may put an offer out to to that content. I feel feel like it's going to bifurcate that these platforms in such a way that there's some really interesting business video content that is consumed as entertainment. I feel like Amazon is so primed for (laughs) I really didn't want to go there but like Amazon is almost perfectly set up to to open up Amazon Prime Video for anybody to be able to put any like produce and and publish any of their video content through Amazon Prime because they basically did it with their store model Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. I mean think about all of the independent sellers that you have on Amazon and it's there as a marketplace it's kind of in their DNA more than any of the and other streaming. A lot of times they're performance based too, right? I mean, yeah. so it's just like it, it's a it's an ecosystem where the best stuff moves to the top and yeah. continues to get sold for the right price. It's all market driven. Well, we were talking about like you could you could totally imagine <clears throat> Amazon acquiring Masterclass or something like that and putting it up on Amazon Prime and you purchase each individual class for some, you know, something like that. Yeah, or, I, there may yeah. be a whole other system with it, but something like a, a competitor to Masterclass, right. right? That's business focused or educational focused. Yeah. That, and you can just purchase an individual one like you buy a movie mm-hmm. or or maybe it streams for free is whatever, however they want to do it. Mm-hmm. But, it but it's totally set up to have that exact same model. And what we were talking about the other day too was how Amazon picked up Twitch, is Twitch going to be its sort of YouTube version that it starts to integrate, you know, with its e-commerce store too. What do you know about Twitch or what does anybody like here know about Twitch? I've never been a gamer. Lots of really good like haunting videos. Haunting? Yeah, like like so videos of gamers playing games and the computers like or the cameras like on them, like sitting on their couch. I've seen great like like doors closing in the background inexplicably. Oh, shit. oh yeah. It's some of the some of the best Sweet. like like ghost videos <laughs> nice. are like from Twitch. That's wow. the extent of my not that and my godson is the extent of my Twitch experience. But I think that's because you're Gen X. That's what we're hoping for. <laughs> Fingers, <laughs> Fingers crossed. crossed. We gotta get those test results back. We don't know. Maybe when we get the test results we'll actually realize we know a lot more about Twitch than we thought. <laughs> Yes, and and then by extension TikTok, I'm yeah maybe I think you're I think you're Gen Z. That might be Z. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I the mean only balding Gen yeah, Z. Yeah, I was gonna say your bald spot says like Gen X, yeah. older millennial, but your TikTok. Addiction. I like how you put the uh, the Instagram live video on my bald spot. Essentially, you're wearing a hat. I, I know. Oh, because <laughs> ah, I say, but most people don't see it, right? I'm six mm-hmm. five. That's right, and it's just enough on the t- crest of my head. Everyone can see it. Oh, okay. I pretend like no one can. I can't see it. <laughs> okay, I see it. Did we just self sabotage there, yeah. or, or were we kind of done with that uh, that part? Uh, I, I think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I think I just think there's an opportunity, just like the B two B influencer. There's opportunity there. Yeah. Who? How is that going to evolve, and who's going to claim it? Yeah. Not me. So let me pose a question that is apparently in the style of which I usually pose questions, which is something that I want to answer, but I'm going to let you all answer, <laughs> and then I'm going to say, well, no, but... So what happens if there's a recession in 2020, as a lot of people think there will be? Because a lot of these things require, that we've discussed, require investment and uh, money. Well, what happens if this recession happens in 2020? 
are all of these dashed? <clears throat> are marketers going to change their behaviors? Arguably they, more important. I think I've got a narrow view of the economy because of the world that I live in. I think everybody, most people probably do unless you're an economist. But I get crunch-based updates every day. Every time a company gets any round of funding, I see it. That's a I, serial, right? Crunchbase? <laughs> <laughs> Crunchbase is a platform. Uh, the end. What? Like, shit, <laughs> 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 I just realized, like, even my, even my, what I use it for might not actually define what it is. Crunchbase but, appears to be a business data platform. Yeah. You can see who's invested in what, uh, who's leading what companies, when they got rounds of funding. I see all of these companies getting funded all the time. Uh, every day there's 10, 15, 20 companies getting funded. Are we one? Uh, we have not been funded through uh, actual like venture rounds or anything like that. Mm. Um, we have sponsorships, and I don't think that are, that's the sort of thing they care about. Uh, very lucrative sponsorships, I might add. Where I'm, what I'm getting at, yes, recession. I, based on my narrow view of the economy, I feel like the recession is going to be led by this VC bubble where everyone is getting funded with very like with just ideas, it seems like. And so it's going to be businesses, well, this sounds stupid, it's going to be businesses <laughs> who, who are most affected by the recession, therefore, than everybody else. So I guess it's kind of stupid to say, but... but um, I think the VC <clears throat> funding bubble is a symptom of... A larger a, financial... A, a larger financial... Where do you think that regular downturn recession? I mean, we're coming out of the thing that is literally called the Great Recession. I mean, our last recession was like the worst you can get without being a depression. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we're all really scared of the word recession, but recessions happen on average every like four to five years. It's part of a mm. natural it, economic cycle. It's just cycle. part of Not when you have like a, someone like Trump in office. Which is what? <laughs> just joking. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> I just wanted to know where you were going with that. No, yeah, it doesn't no. matter. It almost Trump makes the economy recession-proof. Obviously. Where were? What was I saying? The recession is part of a natural economic cycle. Yes. Um, that's true. It's a good point. It's. <laughs> 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 this is our last two-part episode ever. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at a minute 56 and 53 seconds. So, I don't know how we've done it. No, I think I think I think the the VC bubble that you're talking about is largely a symptom of of larger underlying just happen on a regular basis kind of economic indicators and you know, I don't know that people should freak out about a reception uh, a recession. I think everybody's freaking out about a recession because the last one we had was a really big one and lasted for a long time. So it's the natural order of things. I'm not necessarily worried about it for us because I think, and I think a lot of companies are this way. We have a small enough client base that, you know, we're not like GE where our clients are among the biggest companies in the world. And if there's an economic downturn over the world, then overall our business, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a limited number of clients that, that we're flexible enough that we're going to be able to pivot. And I think a lot of the people who are listening are probably working with companies that are small enough that, that they can pivot and survive a recession. I think the, the thing you're going to see if a recession starts to become apparent is that executives are going to get a lot more focused on well, I think there's two ways to look at it. I think the intellectually lazy way to look at it is let's stop spending money. And I think the like advanced professional way to look at it is let's spend money in the ways that can get us the greatest return on our investment. So it's going to fall on the shoulders of largely, because we've talked about the influence of marketing over the entire process and how marketing is taking over sales enablement and customer success content. Marketing is going to be held with the responsibility of creating content that has the highest return. And 51% of marketing professionals worldwide name video as the type of content with the best ROI, which the way it's, that I understand statistics means that that's the number one type of content that has the highest ROI. So if a recession is coming and you're getting fewer dollars or, or the same number of dollars, as a marketer, you really, I mean, this may sound self-serving, but put it in the content that's going to get the biggest ROI. And if you haven't done video, then it means going to video. 
if you have done video, you're probably 50, 51, 49, likely to say that it has the highest ROI. You just got to be smart with your dollars. So I think you're going to see a lot of people doing that smaller production quality, smaller budget, doing it in house content, doing it in house and just being smart <clears throat> with their dollars and spending, maybe taking some of their paid search budgets, PPC budgets, those kinds of things, and moving them into the video stuff that gets them those higher returns. Or the other side of that, which is maybe the 49% who are going to revert to things that are perhaps more tried and true in their experience yeah, and cheaper yeah, and not experience video. And I just wonder who's going to come out of this recession better. Yeah. We shall see. But I do know that marketers who use video grow revenue 49% faster than non-video users. So that's a reason to just go with video instead of reverting back to the less, you know, the less scary video type stuff. I got all kinds of stats. Where are you hiding those? <clears throat> They're on the outline. Marketers who use, use video <laughs> there, there receive 41% more web traffic from search than non-users. Companies that use video marketing get 66 more, 66% more qualified leads per year. What, I mean, if you're going into a recession and you got to be smart with your money, those are the four stats that I see that are readily available. We can certainly put them in the show notes. But like those are the ones that, I mean, if I were in charge of a budget, I would say that video needed to be part of my budget because I'm going to get more qualified leads. I'm going to get more web traffic. I'm going to grow revenue faster. And that's what it's all about in a recession economy. And if you're already using video, to our previous point, start putting some time and thought into how you actually interpret those analytics, convert those into insights, and that insight into action. Because that's going to get you that much more return on the video you already have and the stuff that you're already making and using in your content stream. That's an easy way to actually start to get more out of the stuff you already have by just being smart about it, using the data that it's already giving you. We should honestly create an additional uh, one of our little productized things, one of our initiatives, strategic initiatives. We should have like a recession pack where we just kind of like, you know, combine like audit of existing content, you know, a basic springboard, that kind of thing. And like, just treat it as like a, a video marketing recession toolkit kind of thing. We'll just, you know, put a pin in that and discuss it later, I yeah. suppose. Okay. Anybody else have any other trendy things to talk about for video in 2020? Or is it about time to wrap this thing up and head to a late lunch? Based on the way my head feels, I think I'm a little pooped. I'm pooped. Yeah. Can't I'm ready imagine. to do some TikToks. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's get, let's get TikTok and Yeah. TikTok. TikTok. I'm going to tick. Like the clock? TikTok. Yeah. Like Kesha. Do Ooh. either of you have it? I do not. Why not? Why would I? I think TikTok is a trend. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm going to add that. I I'm think a, brands are going to be on TikTok. I'm a Gen Xer. But uh, uh, that's. I haven't got my results yet. <laughs> B2C brands or B2B brands? We've been largely inconsistent with um, B2C, uh, it, no, no one's really using that well. Right now, Ro I see Robin Hood all over the place. I just, <laughs> They've had a great week. Really? No. No. They had a flaw in there. Look, just Google yeah. Robin Hood and look for a news story. I, I heard, though, that their algorithm for... Uh, delivering ads is way more intelligent than what Instagram, Facebook, same company are doing. Um, and therefore, there's much like, but nobody's doing it. And even Gary Vee's out there saying, get on fucking TikTok. Fuck, fuck, fuck. And uh, that's, that's generally what he does. That's, oh my God, that's the best Gary Vee impression I've ever heard. Was he in the room? <laughs> jab, jab. <clears throat> fuck, uh, fuck, fuck. Well, TikTok what? is, is, it's, Maybe worth noting, it's a Chinese company, right? That's right. Um, yeah. Which is just interesting to point out compared to Facebook or mm -hmm. Twitter or something mm -hmm. like that. It's, That's true. It's, they're just, I don't know, operating maybe in a different way than, than what the Silicon Valley based mm -hmm. guys are doing. Yeah, I'm sure they're much more concerned about user data. <laughs> he said sarcastically <laughs> going I, into I am the episode recap. Almost certain they're allowed to turn on your camera whenever they want. Probably. Great. So. Which, you know, for the exhibitionists of us, that's a 
it's a great thrilling feature to have but for the rest of us I have a, a friend a neighbor cool. who is I have a friend who he's 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 been on like some some big like cybersecurity panels that actually like lead industry decision making uh, he is totally all about giving up as much so he, he either says I want to give up as much data as possible or not do it at all mm-hmm. I think he'd be an interesting podcast guest in terms of like because he had some really interesting theories on on serving ads well we we kept this episode our first one with a guest to a tight two hours and five minutes so um, yeah let's bring on more guests a lean 205 a lean that is my tight, about my like weight a tiger I'm not too lean anymore Tulane? <laughs> More Tulane than Tulane. David, you want to recap the uh, episode two here of uh, Video Trends for 2020? It's a rundown. Just give us a quick rundown of maybe, maybe the main bullet points we discussed. Absolutely. So uh, some of the trends that we discussed, the Video Trends of 2020, include uh, more customer journey-based content. Which... Again, it's just too buzzwordy to be valuable. Exactly. So I'm sure you guys all just (laughs) flew right past. uh, You just hit that 30-second skip button on that one. B2C influencer bubble bursting slash influencing a potential B2B. (laughs) It's kind of like the Big Bang. Like the universe that existed prior, which is the B2C influencer world, burst and created the Big Bang, which creates then the B2B influencer world. Mm -hmm. All right. Monday's That's a bold one. CBS. Yep. The uh, increase young Sheldon. of in-house production teams. Yep. And not, yep. And two, two levels of that. Big brands bringing everything in-house and smaller brands bringing something in-house from a video standpoint. The next wave of personalized video, which is something that's been happening already for a couple of years, but, but sort of the next you know, evolution of uh, what that means to have a truly personalized video. We talked about more robust statistics and just kind of the actual uh, implementation and interpretation of statistics for video, finally. We talked about entertainment-oriented platforms, publishing informational or or educational-related business content. And uh, we talked about some uh, some tips for navigating a uh, potential recession, which isn't going to happen. Which is maybe. Which is probably going to happen. Probably going to happen. Yeah. It could be six months. It could be eighteen months. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, Justin, what do you think about our first episode with a guest? How was David as a guest? I like it. I like looking at someone else. Sometimes. <laughs> Should we do like a follow-up podcast where you guys just like review my Your performance, performance on kinda, this podcast? Yeah, kind of like we should have a separate podcast reviewing <laughs> reviewing our guest performance. Employee evaluation. Like talking Dead. Yes, like yes, exactly. <laughs> talking David. How many people do you think we're going to spend an hour talking David? So we have a couple downloads every episode. We're going to be joined by a vet Nicole Brown and <clears throat> uh, okay. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for sticking with us through two episodes here. Uh, as always, you know, give us the likes and the rates and the whatever you do. Oh, no, wait, you don't do that because I don't know how long it's been since we got a like or a rating. Should we just start paying people to do that? Uh, we should. We should just start bribing people to do that. Just give them donuts or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and David, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. It's been yeah. fun. Brought some, fun. some interesting things really do you prefer this or do you prefer sitting at your desk behind the sound blanket with your AirPods and not paying attention to what we're talking about for an hour? And holding in your pee. Oof. I like that last part. <laughs> that part's fun. Uh, but this has been fun. Okay. Well, we've had fun. I guess you still have got, got to hold in your pee for this too. Yeah, I'm squirming pretty hard right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 what are we going to talk about next time? We'll let that's next year. We don't even we don't nah. we don't have any nah. nope. Doesn't well I don't know what talk you're talking to you in twenty twenty. <laughs> Happy right. New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. It's a whole bright new year. 
Yeah. Justin, you want to take the us out with the recession a, with a rendition of Old Lang Syne? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, if you guys would join in, yeah, we'll, we'll do it as a round, maybe. Okay. Oh, in canon. Mm. May all of vengeance be forgot and all a sign. Now you go. No, 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 keep going. That's all I know of the song. Oh, okay. All a sign. No, you keep singing. We're gonna, we're gonna slowly just like close your eyes and just sing like nobody's watching. <clears throat> can you can I get a metro? Um, maybe give me key. Give me key. A minor. I want it. I need to hear it. Uh, I, I, you know what? I actually have a. It, may cause issues with the publishing of this if it's too similar to the original, uh, original publishing of this song. <laughs> <laughs>